Today I'm going to tell you a story. Does anyone love a good story? This is a true story. It's also a biblical story. So those two kind of go together in my theology. I think it's fair to say that the last series was, was quite deep and soul-searching. And I thought today that we needed to aim for something a little bit lighter maybe. Something bold and something uplifting. Someone prayed in the prayer corner. There's been this kind of saggy hope thing going on this week. Anyone felt a big sigh on the inside this week going, here we go again. Well, let's, let's have a bit of a faith boost this morning, I think. And, and the aim is to encourage you and to put a pep into your step going into Christmas. Although I'm sure you don't need that. So before we go there, we're going to start with a, with a frequently quoted, well-known verse. And it's 1 John 4, verse 4. And I had to read this in the old King James Version. It starts with the word ye. I think all verses should start with the word ye, frankly. But, I, you know, good job, I'm not God. It would be a bit of a boring Bible. But anyway, 1 John 4, verse 4 says, Ye are of God. Yeehaw. No. <laughs> this is not the Texan version. Sorry. King James Version. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. 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 Okay, three little thoughts, deductions out of that verse. Number one is the enemy is in the world. I've read that verse many times. I've quoted it hundreds of times. And I saw someone tweet something a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, obvious, but I've never quite seen it like that. The enemy is in the world. The world is his domain, and he is at work. He's at work infiltrating and manipulating and corrupting. He's in the world steering agendas. Have you noticed that? He's in there twisting thinking and he's leaning on its direction. Shouldn't be a surprise to us. 1 John 4 verse 4, Paul described him as the God of this world. And that's after the cross and resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about princes of this world. Talks about the wisdom of of this world, talks about the spirit of this world. So should we then be, be surprised that we can feel a contrary tug? We can see contradicting agendas in play. We can, we can sense that antichrist spirit, which is actually what 1 John 4 verse 4 is written into. Why? Because the enemy is in the world system. But, point number two, greater is he. Greater is he. This is an example of what I would call a polite verse. But when God here is saying, I am greater, or actually when John is saying, he is greater, what he means is greater. It's like Isaiah 55 when it says that his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. Isn't God polite? I love the song, Every Giant Will Fall. I think we might sing it later. No greater name. No higher name. No stronger name than Jesus. 
And here's the point. Folks, this is not a fair fight. It's not a, it's not a 50 50 tussle hanging on the edge as though the outcome is in doubt. Greater is he, exponentially greater, infinitely greater, overwhelmingly greater. And then point number three, where is he? Greater is he that is in you. Where is he? He is inside of you. Greater is he that is in you. Everywhere you go, all the time, whenever you enter any room, he is partnering with you, he is mediating for you, he is bubbling within you and bursting to come out of you. Folks, we have the greater one in you. All his power, all his wisdom, all his love. I don't know about you, this is very, very good news. And for me, this one verse, this reality changes everything. This reality should frame everything. And so with that principle in mind, let's read our story, shall we? The story we're going to read is, is 1 Kings chapter 18. It's the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Weren't you just hoping that that was a story I was going to read you today? I can tell. So, so the backdrop of this story is, is there's a severe famine in the land of Israel. It's pretty bleak. And at this stage, Israel had a horribly backslidden king by the name of Ahab. Not the whale one. Okay, this is the king one in 1 Kings 18. Now, I don't know about you, when I read through, I love 1 Kings, when I read through it, you, you kind of get to the king's introductory, you go to the next king, and then you look at the next verse. It either says, and he did good in the sight of the Lord. And we all relax over our cornflakes, and we realise it's going to be a happy story. Or we get to the line that says, as it did in this case, they do, that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In which case, you kind of buckle up and brace yourself. And in this particular verse, actually, it said that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Not only that, he had a wicked wife, Jezebel. Jezebel was a Sidonian. Uh, she worshipped the Sidonian, and she worshipped this, this Canaanite fertility god called Baal. And there is no doubt, if you read through these chapters, that Jezebel is pulling the strings. The, the reality is it's a tough time to be a prophet. It's a time of tremendous persecution. Many of them actually were in hiding in these days. And of course the greatest of all the prophets was Elijah. And Elijah had already seen God do some amazing things. Okay, so let's read the story. Now I was thinking about this and Think of how I would feel if I were you. This is quite a long story. There's quite a lot of verses. And it's nice and warm in here. You know, it's nearly Christmas. You're busy. I just have imagined it would be a great time for you to kind of drift off. You know, Jamie could tell us a story and someone will wake us up at the end. I thought, what can I do to stop that happening? I thought, we can make this story interactive. Okay, so it's going to go like this. We'll try this. It might be a horrible failure. But we're going to give it a go. Okay. If I say the, these names, if I say the name Ahab, 
or Jezebel or Baal, I kind of want you to boo. Can you do that? I think that would be appropriate. Having said that, if you heard the names Elijah, you see, you, got to, you guys are quick, aren't you? Or I think, I think God falls into this category. I think that would be the time for a cheer. Okay, bear in mind, we do need to finish this story by about 11.30, okay? So not too much jubilation. Okay. So, okay. Don't steal my thunder. Okay, so here we go. 1 Kings chapter 18. Ahab went out to meet, went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So it really is you, you troublemaker of Israel. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal. So you guys are good. Now summon all Israel to join. Not sure they get a boo or a cheer, Israel, at this stage. It's a bit in the balance. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, they definitely get a boo, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. The people, unlike this shower in this room, that I whipped up, to be fair, were completely silent. Now bring two bulls, and the prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God. That's a boo. Wrong God, that one. Got ya, got ya. Call on the name of your, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire that's hooray, I think, before we read the end of the story, but hold on. This is a shambles, isn't it? I love it, I love it. The God who answers by fire to the setting fire to the wind is the true God. And all the people agreed. We agree. We agree. Okay. Okay, so don't you love a good contest? And you'd have thought that, that this challenge would surely settle and answer the big questions once and for all. You know, and I reckon, I, I reckon that, that the prophets of Baal fancied their chances here. But you know what? They hadn't read 1 John 4, verse 4. Okay, let's carry on. Verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, should be ah, shouldn't it, for the bulls? Don't think they get a great deal here. Prepare one, one of the bulls and place it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or relieving himself. 
Or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. And I love that passage. You know, the Baal worshippers, you can imagine the scene, the Baal worshippers gave absolutely all they got. While we have Elijah giggling and teasing in the background. Okay, so next, Elijah takes his carefully prepared altar and he lays wood on the top and he lays his sacrificial bull on top. And then he says, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Pause. You know what happens to wood when you pour water on it? Okay, that's self-explanatory. Or, or what doesn't happen to it when you do. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Yeah, they're good guys. Yeah, yeah, they get a cheer. Why not? Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know, O Lord, our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. Here we go. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. Hooray! And burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Thank you, that was great. And I love that story. For me, it never gets old. And of course, there's a great deal in there. What we're going to do, spend a few minutes looking at the three parties in there and make two or three points relevant to each of them. That's the plan. So you can stop cheering and booing now. Well, you can carry on if you like, I don't mind. So first of all, we're going to look at the opposition. I said, I said stop, didn't I? And then I tried to encourage you again. Oh, there's no chance, is there? Okay. Three, three facts about the opposition. Number one, it is human nature to herd together and polarise. My word, are we seeing a lot of that in society right now? You know, that has always been the case and always been the case. And, and here, they're split into two camps. They're split into the camp of Baal, who is this, this false demonic Canaanite fertility god. And on the other hand, we have Jehovah, who of course is the true god of the people of Israel. We see the trouble here, yes, they, they herded together, and yes, they polarised, but they'd not really thought it through, I don't think. Did they really know who they were backing here and why? And the reality is, I doubt it, but people do love following the crowd. They love listening to the loudest voice. Little 
piece of irony here. The next chapter, we have Elijah calling out to God and hearing what? The still, small voice. But people love responding to the loudest voice. Surely if someone is that angry and that convincing, then he must be right. Right? If I've seen it that many times on Facebook, it must be true. People love a, a cause that they can align behind. That's human nature. So boy, have we seen people herding together and have we seen people polarised, and that means taking extreme views, either completely black or completely white, and you're not even allowed to say that these days, I understand that, and all the grey in the middle. Okay, so number one. Number two is strings are being pulled. Who's pulling the strings here, I wonder? Was it Ahab? Was it Jezebel? Was it the demonic god Baal? Was it his master Lucifer? Do you know what? In our world today, strings are being pulled. The question is by whom and to what end? Ephesians 6, verse 12 For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And what I must say is, before we get too excited, or dare I say fearful about that, let's read to the end of this story. It's number two. Number three, number three is culture loves a form of religion. We talked about that little bit last week, actually. And the tragedy in this story is we have, a, we have a really fervent crowd foolishly resisting the real thing that is right beneath their noses. And they're trying to construct something that looks a little bit similar. You know, there's a God, there, there's worship, there are rules, there, there's a pro, there are prophets, there, there are sacrifices. It's just that they've chosen the wrong side, as they're about to find out in dramatic fashion. You know, the world may not all be following Jesus, but they are still intrinsically religious. It's looking, the world is looking for something to worship. It it loves rules and rituals. It recognises the need for truth and morality but just doesn't know how to, what, what to make of it. The world is full of, of counterfeits and substitutes imitating true religion. Sadly, so many have chosen the wrong side. Hopefully we can do something about that. Eh? Now the good news is we have the gospel in this story. In fact, we have have the gospel in every story through the Bible, really. And in this case, it goes like this. The prophets of Baal were desperately fervent. And they tried everything they knew to light this flaming, not flaming bull on the altar. They they tried praying and chanting and, and dancing and kneeling and shouting. You know, they worked hard. 
they, they, they strived long, they cut themselves deep. They threw everything they got at their salvation and their justification. Here's the gospel. We just can't do it ourselves. We can't earn it, we can't work it, we can't force it, we can't make it happen. You can look wherever you like. You can try any code or ritual or religion, well-intentioned though it may be. But salvation is by grace and not by works. It is a gift. It is not earned. It is all of God and nothing of us. Ephesians chapter 2. And to confirm all that, in our story, along comes Elijah. And he prepares his offering, he prays his prayer, and then, boom, God himself sends the fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, consumes the water, the stones, the whole lot. The point is, Elijah didn't even have to provide the fire. In the gospel, it's all of God. 100%. It is completely one-sided. We have no significant part to play. That's called grace. You know what, in this case, that there was nothing the prophets of Baal could do to get their sacrifice burning. But the good news is there is nothing the enemy could do to stop the incineration of Elijah's sacrifice. Do you know why? 1 John 4, verse 4, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Back to our point for, sec for, sec for a second. Culture loves a form of religion. It, it may be well-intentioned. It, it looks a little bit like the real thing. It might even make you feel good. But don't be suckered into that when only the real thing has the power to save you. Okay, that's dealt with the opposition. Now let's look at Elijah. Two, just two thoughts about Elijah and then we're going to do two about God. Elijah. Number one, when you know your God, when you know his promises, when you know his power, you can afford to be really, really bold. So important that we know what God has promised us. It's so important that we know who we now are in Christ. It's so important we know the, the fullness of our inheritance as children of God. And so this, what we call new creation reality, should be the driving force behind our decisions and our behaviours and our words. If we really know our God and his power and his promises. We can afford to be really bold as followers of Jesus. Not, not because we're any kind of big shot, but because he is the king of kings, and he is the lord of lords, and he is the alpha and omega. He is the ruler of the heavens and the earth, and because of 1 John 4 verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's point number one about Elijah. Point number two. Point number two is even the biblical greats suffered from distortional thinking patterns. 
You know, God here has just performed one of the most dramatic and sensational and definitive miracles in the whole of the Bible. And what does Elijah do? Read a few verses in the next chapter. Chapter 19, verse 2. Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me. They'd had much success at the striking and killing before this, up to this point, I'd like to point out. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. The whole of the prophets got killed in the story. We missed that out because of the bloodshed. Happy day, Sunday. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, travelling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Elijah goes from the greatest imaginable triumph to suicidal thought in the space of 24 hours. Amazing, after what he's just seen God do. All that faith and boldness that he exhibited up there on Mount Carmel. Within hours, he goes away, sits under a tree and begs God to let him die. And here's the moral of the story. Just because God is using you, just because God is blessing you and doing amazing things in and through you, does not mean that distortional thinking patterns deeply rooted in your brain aren't in there trying to bite you. Let's have a look at some examples of distortional thinking patterns. Ask if any of you ever think like that, ever, any time. Number one, God was, was awesome yesterday and it'll be amazing tomorrow. But right now, today, facing this, I'm toast. That's distortional thinking. Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday and today and forever. Here's another one. It's my job to fix all the problems around me. And if I haven't, I've failed. Guys, we all know that's not true. It's not our job to fix everything around us. But how often do we allow that thought to get into our psyche and start to take over and start to crush us and we find ourselves one day after the great miracle sitting underneath a broom tree? Probably not literally. Next distortional thing. If I can make everyone around me like me, if, sorry, if I can't make everyone around me like me, I must be doing it wrong. Next one. If things around me are in a mess, it must be my fault. And if I've not scored, sorry, last one, I've not scored 100%, so I deserve to feel the shame. And again, in our sane moments, none of us would read those and go, absolutely right, that's true. We know there's distortions and there lies in all of that. But the point is, we're all susceptible to distortional thinking patterns. We're all vulnerable to the enemy's lies and those little pesky self-doubts. Even Elijah, probably the greatest prophet of them all by Jesus. I don't know about you, but does anyone else find that just a little bit reassuring? Not the solution is? The solution is always the same. It's to get back on the rock. If you find yourself in that place where those pesky thoughts are tugging away and crushing you down, 
Get back on the rock. Get back to God. Get back into his word. Get back into his presence. Get back onto your knees. Why? Because of 1 John 4 verse 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Okay, rattling along here. The third party in our story, of course, is God. Two points about God. Number one, we've already covered it. We can look at it again. Number one, it really is not a fair fight. Again, don't get suckered into thinking this is going to be a close-run thing and it's a precarious 50-50 duel which, which might fall either way. Psalm 147, verse 5. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. Jeremiah 32, verse 17, which we used to sing, Our Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Matthew 19, verse 6. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So look at, on Mount Carmel, look at, look at the odds and look at the numbers. I've done my sums. I reckon it's 851 to 1. Okay, it's 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah and Ahab on one side versus Elijah on the other. But you know, when I read through that passage, it, it doesn't look to me as though God had to burst a blood vessel or, or strain a sinew or sweat a bead. And the victory was total, total and utter. Literally, it was an annihilation. But we're not talking here about a kind of one-nil win with a dodgy penalty against the run of play in the very last minute. We're talking more about that 20-nil win that England women had against Latvia a couple of weeks ago. 851 to 1. 851. But what's that saying? You plus God makes a majority. Haven't heard that one before. You know, with God, we don't have, we don't have to beg and grovel hoping to come out unscathed. It's not better be careful or we might make the devil mad and then we're in trouble. In Christ, my Bible tells me we are more than conquerors. My Bible teaches me that God is willing and that God is able, that God is for you, that God is even in you, and that God is considerably greater. 1 John 4 verse 4, in case you haven't got it yet, greater is he that is in you than he that is undoubtedly in the world. And point number two about God, we're getting there now. Number two, God is faithful. Elijah put himself completely on the line here. God backed him 100%. Here's the point. God will never hang you out to dry. God will never let you down. God will never prove to be insufficient. God will never make you walk through the fiery furnace without going with you. Hebrews 13, verse 5, For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Psalm 33, verse 4, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. 
So, sorry, Philippians 4 verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So back to 1 John 4 verse 4. Number one, the enemy is in the world. But if you take God up Mount Carmel with you, the enemy just does not have a chance. Number two, God, greater is he. Never underestimate how much greater. And thirdly, where is he? He's inside of you. He's in you wherever you go. He's with you as you enter every room. He's for you in every situation. I tell you what, follow his lead and the 851 other guys don't stand a chance. Okay, how do we respond to this this morning? Three questions for you as usual. Number one, for you, is it a form of religion or is it the real thing? Always a good question to ask. You know, have you perhaps slipped off track and it's just become a little ritualistic, a little bit routine and we've forgotten about the power? What's the New Testament verse? A form of religion but denying the power. Are you maybe going through the motions? Maybe it's time to remind yourself of 1 John 4 verse 4. Maybe it's time to remind yourself who is on the throne and exactly what that means. So first thought, question, tape for the Lord is for you. Is it a form of religion or is it the real thing? Number two, I think this is a really good question. Number two is, are distortional thinking patterns talking you out of your destiny? Who or what is greater in your life? What is distracting you from his promises? What lies are you still believing when the true story is 1 John 4, verse 4. And then question number three. Question number three is this. How bold are you? You know, what changes in the light of 1 John 4, verse 4? I would argue everything changes. What changes in the light of the fact that he is so much greater? What changes in the light of the fact that he is in you? The fact that the lamb wins and the fact that the enemy, the one who is operating in the world, is a defeated and disarmed foe. What changes as a result of that? And the question off that becomes, how bold are you?